When you're paralyzed and you literally can move nothing, you can feel nothing, you can do nothing, uh, I still get emotional thinking about it now, it's such a powerful time. At that point, you can only motivate yourself. No one around you can say, do this. Yeah, that's, that's not how it works. You have to be in the driver's seat of your own body. You have to be your own MVP, your most valuable player. Right? You have to turn up. Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water is always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to save a real-life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode, a conversation with three rower coaches who spotted opportunities to step up and step outside boxes to establish clubs for their communities. They're honest about surprises, aha moments, dealing with red tape, partnerships, and collaboration, and the hows and whys behind their decisions to start their own rowing clubs. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. We are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. In 2016, Stephen Dowd was a 37-year-old weekend warrior cyclist living and training in London when an accident left him with a devastating spinal cord injury. Facing total paralysis and a bleak prognosis, Stephen was motivated by his acceptance into a clinical research trial and a goal to walk by Christmas. With an exceptional personal will and the support of family and friends, Stephen today is not only walking, but cycling, skiing, erging, and even rowing. We sat down to talk about his journey, finding motivation, and the Enduro Challenge, a charity event Stephen launched in 2021. Hello, how are you doing? Great. How are you? Very well, very well, thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. My absolute pleasure. So I'm Tara, if I didn't already have that on my screen. Um, and you and I have talked uh, per Seize the Oar Foundation. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Absolutely. And um, I'm in Wa- Vashon Island, Washington, just outside Seattle. And oh, I am Rachel, and I'm based in Washington, D.C. So Tara and I are, are across the country from one another. So thank you for making this time work. I know it's, we are spread across the entire day right now. Right. Well, it's, so, yeah, it's only 5 p.m. here, so it's right. good. So... Can you tell us uh, your name and where you are right now and what you do? Yeah, okay, cool. It's, uh, well, I can do the first really easily. The second one's probably a longer answer. Um, <laughs> right. So my name is Stephen Dowd. I am the founder of Enduro Challenge, uh, which is the world's biggest live streamed, fully inclusive indoor rowing event for charity. Uh, I'm based here in London and uh, so in the UK. But the event itself is an international one, which takes every corner of the world into account. You know, whoever you are, wherever you are, then this is the event for you. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate you taking a little bit of time to talk with us about your rowing story <clears throat> and enduro. 
So one of the questions we love to ask our guests right off the bat is, how's your rowing week going? Well, I'm probably a little different to the majority of your rowers because I don't consider myself a rower. Um, I have only very, very recently found rowing. It's absolutely brand new for me. So yes, I did Enduro Challenge last year. Um, it's a four hour indoor row. So I was on the ERG. Uh, I was also hosting the show whilst rowing as well, which was uh, alongside the other hosts. So I've done a fair bit of erging only over the course of the last year, but hot off the press, brand new. I only made the post on Friday. Uh, I managed to get into probably the most mixed 4X uh, quad uh, down at Marlow Rowing Club for the first time on the Thames. And I was rowing with three Olympians in the boat, which was just amazing olympians and paralympians and uh, wow what an experience this is just uh, last week this was yeah literally uh, monday last week yeah that okay. was my first time on the thames it's not my first time in a boat uh, in as much as in order to arrange the row for last monday which was uh, obviously enduro shirted and all very kind of promo and whatever um in order so that i didn't collapse a boat or capsize a boat full of olympians and paralympians uh, which would have been <laughs> embarrassing for everyone uh, then I went to Guildford Rowing Club, which is a, a club here on the Thames. It's one of the oldest clubs, actually, on the Thames. And I had a, uh, a, a crash course in how to actually row a boat. So I did a single a couple of times. Uh, I got in a double with one of the guys there who's also para. Um, and then I ended up in a quad as well, just to kind of make sure it wasn't the first time I'd ever done it when I stepped into the Thames. But then Monday was the big day. Wow. Okay. And you were you were in the boat with Kingsley. I saw Kingsley was I saw a photo on your social media feed. Kingsley yeah. was in the boat, who I'm a big fan. Uh, who else was Absolutely. in the boat with you? So the bow girl, bow behind me was Kath Bishop, uh, triple para, uh, triple Olympian, uh, silver medal winner. Used to row with people like Catherine Granger and Kate mm. McKenzie and Gillian. Uh, so incredible woman. She's also the chairwoman of Love Rowing, which is British Rowing's uh, charitable arm, charitable foundation. Uh, an author of the long win she'd like me to say i'm sure um she was behind me and calling the shots and she was steering because this was a four x we were in uh then i was in the three seat is that yeah i think that's right mm -hmm. um and then in front of me was naomi riches mbe uh, who was a gold medal winner in the london 2012 games she's visually impaired so she's a pr3 and then in front of her was kingsley ijima who's the fastest african uh he's a pr1 and uh, he rode at the Tokyo Olympics. He didn't medal, unfortunately, uh, this time, but I'm sure he will in the future. But uh, wow, what an incredibly mixed ability boat. And all of that was brought together by Marlow uh, Rowing Club, which is where we rode out of. They all, each of them all row at that club. Mm. Um, but we had a wonderful guy called Bruce, uh, Bruce Lynn. And I'm sure lots of people will know Bruce because he's, everyone seems to. Uh, but in the para space, he's an American based over here. And he runs the adaptive program at Marlow. And so he was able to pull us all together and, uh, and get us out and make a dream come true. Well, what a fantastic group of people to get out uh, on the water with for your first time in a quad. Was there anything like that really surprised you about being in that boat? I was surprised at how easy it was. Oh, because uh, you had Olympians in your boat with you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is true. Although you would think if I was rowing along with Olympians, having been what my fifth time ever on the water, that I might end up clashing oars and catching crabs and all that sort of stuff um, that I'm still learning the, <laughs> the words for. Uh, but actually, even though I was square blading, I haven't yet learned to feather. And frankly, the way my, because I, I broke my neck. So I'm, I'm uh, technically would be classified a PR3 if I were to be classified. Um, but I have some paralysis. So I was struggling to, to do the feathering thing. Um, but it was, it was just so serene, you know, I mean, I'm talking to the converted, but when you catch 
three or four strokes that are just absolutely perfect. Mm. And you find yourself just feeling like you're flying. It was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then at that point, you also get to look around and you're not focused just on the stroke itself. You get to see the, the banks go by and, and the swans like flying overhead. And oh, it's just beautiful. Yeah, we, we've talked to a lot of people, hundreds of people about what got them hooked. And there's, they all, I think the word flying is probably one of the most commonly used words to describe what we would call send or flow or run in a boat. And it's that sense that you've, you know, you've lifted this beautiful thing off the water and it's just, you know. Yeah. And then the second, the second thing, like you mentioned is that sense of serenity or some Mm -hmm. synonym for serenity and that quiet that we can all kind of step away from whatever else our lives are on shore, get on the water. And it's just to focus on what's happening in the boat, one stroke at a time yeah absolutely and uh, and that's what it was and it was literally stroke by stroke and I, I loved every minute of it we did a couple of runs very lucky with the weather as well so the day before we wouldn't have even been able to go out it was so foggy and it was just awful uh, on our day it was like glass the water mm. was so flat it was beautiful the sun was warm it was just amazing oh sounds like a perfect perfect opportunity perfect a divine chance. intervention yeah <laughs> right, right we also call that brochure day so i'm glad you were doing some promotional photos because that's like the day you take the photos for the ad or for the brochure is when it's just you know and then you get your learn to row students down to the boathouse and they're like this isn't what it looked like <laughs> in your brochure <laughs> you're like well you know yeah no it worked well for the montage video I put together at the end so there's lots of lovely shots Oh, good. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. So we really would love to know if you could tell us about how rowing came into your life, because it's a very different story than we've heard from a lot of other uh, guests that we've had. And by rowing, I think we mean uh, just the whole sport indoor. We consider it all the same sport, so not necessarily oarsmanship. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you said that because I do as well, actually. Uh, I don't, I came at rowing, as I said at the top of the conversation, I don't really consider myself a rower yet. So I've not put myself in any particular camps or categories. And I think the one thing that's always been a problem, actually, maybe perceptively from the outside looking into rowing, is that it is full of different factions. There's lots of kind of uh, us and them, coastal versus river versus transoceanic or whatever it might be. And then indoor rowing almost seems to just be totally different again. Um, Rowing for me almost found me in a way. Uh, So I was... If I wind it back to when I first had my injury, I, I came off my bike, I fell on my head, I'm six foot three, 100 kilos, and instantly sustained a spinal cord injury, which left me, left me paralyzed from the middle of my neck down. So I spent, um, uh, I, I spent four months in hospital. I was a head on a pillow looking up at ceiling tiles, possibly driving around in a power chair with my mouth for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, an immediate change for me that meant I had to kind of reprioritize what I did. I was running recruitment for BMI Mellon, who you probably know from the boat race and head of the Charles and stuff. Uh, so I run recruitment for them for investment management here in Europe, in the Middle East and in Asia and in Africa. Uh, so I had an understanding at a, at a very distant uh, view of rowing from the Oxford Cambridge boat race. That was my, that was all I knew about rowing really. Um, so I had my accident and then I started making a bit of a recovery after some experimental clinical research. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be a part of a trial. And th- after that, it put me through 
a number of kind of challenges that I would use uh, to try and make a recovery. And one of which was very much a focus on sport. So I looked at sport as a way to engage, to be active, and all of that would help my recovery, my rehab. Uh, eventually, I'm kind of rattling through the, the Rocky montage, but I ended up uh, getting back on the bike that I fell from uh, 200 days, just 200 days after the injury itself. And having gone from that pair of eyes on a pillow and a, a very bleak prognosis about whether I'd ever walk again or, or even be able to feel anything below my neck again, um, then I was able to get back on my turbo trainer on the bike and, uh, and cycle the 100 miles that I didn't get to do because my injury kind of got in the way. Uh, so that was an example, I suppose, of how I use sport to, to move forwards. But from a rowing perspective, I then started doing more and more challenges. I, I did the bike, I did it again the following year. I then learned to run again for the first time, uh, which was a bit of an experience. <laughs> I did the world run, which is a, a, it's the world's biggest running event, actually, that runs internationally. And I didn't quite fall on my face until at the very end when I did. Uh, which literally fell bit, on your face. I quite literally did. And oh. it ended up as a bit of a viral video, actually. There was uh. like over a million views or something of Steve falling on his face again. Um, and then I moved through a few different things. I learned to ski. You know, we spoke about flying early, feeling like flying. For me, skiing was just like that as well. It was just amazing. I'd never skied before and I fell over every day for about a, every, literally every few feet for about a week until eventually I could do it. But it was only when I got to the top of my stairs that I discovered rowing. So hmm. I, over lockdown, I decided I wanted to climb Everest. Uh, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do it for real, obviously, and no one was allowed out. We were all locked in. So I thought, well, why don't I try and summit Everest virtually? Mm. And so I set about a challenge where I did three and a half days of walking up and down my stairs to wow. reach the equivalent of the summit of Everest, the elevation of Everest, 8,848 meters. no less. So can I ask you, how many stairs do you have? Uh, I have 12 stairs, which <laughs> meant I had to walk up uh, 3,806 or something flights. Uh, it was about 90,000 steps up and down um, over three and a half days, which bearing in mind I was tetraplegic and recovering from tetraplegia was pretty, uh, was a pretty big ask. And I, I don't recommend it, although I'm very proud of what I achieved. Um, right. But that's a very long way to get to the top of the stairs and have a conversation with a journalist uh, who said to me, so what next? In that way that journalists do when you've just done something you're really proud of and they want to know what you haven't <laughs> done yet. Yeah. And uh, so I said, well, I don't know, really. I, I fancy something to do with indoor rowing. But I didn't really know what that meant or, or what it was. So I set about a challenge. I said, I'll give myself 200 days. I'll build the world's biggest something to do with indoor rowing and get everybody together and we can all do something together. And so I sat down with a piece of paper and started sketching out what became Enduro Challenge. And so that was really my accidental move into rowing. It really was through the erg. And did you know rowers or did you know indoor rowers? Did you have a physical therapist who introduced you to indoor rowing? I knew nobody in rowing. I knew oh, nothing about it. I knew nobody in it. So I was an ex-headhunter having run recruitment for, for being my melons. So I decided to use those skills and just hammer the phones, find people. LinkedIn was really helpful. Everyone who's a rower likes to talk about being a rower. Yep. So it's normally in someone's profile somewhere. So it wasn't hard to get the first couple of kind of handholds. And then I can move up the wall and, and just kind of meet different people. And uh, it took me 450 video calls to get Enduro off the ground. Um, but eventually we ended up with the support of British Rowing, US Rowing, um, Rowing Australia, World Rowing at the NGB level. And then also the clubs and gyms and 
a number of other people that wanted to get involved once they heard the story and, and kind of wanted to play? You know, for us as rowers, you know, we call ourselves rowers because we've been in the rowing world for a long time and we're, we're coaches and, and, you know, but there's a lot of people that have motivated us along the way. Who mm. are some people maybe in the rowing community who've motivated you along the way? Um, maybe you've looked up to, or you've looked for advice from, um, yeah. yeah. There, there are people out there as well. Um, so one of the first names that comes to mind with that is Nick Baker. Uh, Nick Baker was one of the first people that I spoke to. He's the GB Paralympic rowing coach, uh, one of, and uh, he works under Tom Dyson. And uh, I was talking to Nick about what I wanted to do, and he was instantly in. It was great. I got him on the on the call. I told him about my story. I told him what I wanted to do, which is effectively uh, my, the, the Enduro Challenge is a global community event that uses rowing. It's not really a rowing event. It's a way to bring everyone together, but we needed a medium to do that, and the indoor rower became that medium. So rowing uh, felt like the right thing to do. So when I found my way through, to, the first thing you do as a Brit is find British rowing, right? So find a few of those people and see where we can go from there. And Nick just took it with open arms and said, right, what can I do? How can I help? How can I be involved? Uh, and he ended up um, giving me lots of uh, advice and even a little bit of coaching uh, when I showed him some of my ERG videos and things. So he kept me motivated and moving forwards he introduced me to a ton of people as well which can then open doors and then uh, like any good networking event I suppose you end up springboarding off of that but yeah thanks to Nick uh, a lot of stuff was done early on um also a guy called Matt Rostron uh, Matt Rostron is the CEO of London Youth Rowing mm. and previous to that he spent some time at CRI in Boston mm -hmm. uh, so he's been in he's been a face in that space for a long time and and we we met on a philosophical level because he loves rowing and obviously is part of a, a big rowing charity but he looks to get young kids particularly particularly in London uh, onto the water where they otherwise wouldn't have so it's more like a social mobility program in many ways you know strong Bangladeshi area particularly in East London where he's based and uh, getting those kids, whether they be black or, or um, Asian, normally Bangladeshi, they, they walk across water, bridge, uh, the bridges of the, the Docklands all the time, but would never consider themselves to get in a boat or get on the water itself. So he bridges that gap and, and shows people what's possible. Uh, so that's been, that's been wonderful. He's been a good uh, inspiration. And then I watched the wonderful film, which I'm sure we've all seen, uh, A Most Beautiful Thing. Mm -hmm. which uh, I absolutely loved. So I got Arshe on the line and we had a chat and uh, I spoke to Arshe about what I was doing and, and what I wanted to do. Um, and he was, uh, he was inspirational as just through his own story, just mm -hmm. to kind of go, well, if, if someone like Arshe can take rowing and turn it into the valuable uh, proposition that he did for himself, but now also you have the most beautiful thing foundation as well. And, and all the benefits that are coming out of the back of that, then yeah, it was just, it was diversity and inclusion left, right and center that made me go, oh, yeah, we can use rowing to do this. Because of the amazing support of our patrons, we've been able to produce nearly 40 episodes of steady state podcast. And we're really excited to be kicking off our third season. When you join our Patreon community for as little as $5 a month, you help us reframe the popular yet limited narrative about rowing culture. You'll also be the first to know about new episodes. You'll get steady state freebies and some store discounts. So find out more at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network and on Twitter at Steady State Row. Sign up for our e-newsletter and become a patron at SteadyStateNetwork.com. 
in two. We're back with Stephen Dowd. That's one, two. Do you mind if we uh, if we back up just a little bit? Um, one thing that uh, that really drew me to your story is that is for me very inspirational. And I was wondering where your idea for your 200 day promise came from early on in your rehab. So that couldn't have been earlier in my rehab. That was uh, two days after my injury. Mm-hmm. I was in intensive care. So I'd been through the injury. I'd been through the various battery of tests, the MRIs, the x-rays, all that stuff. Um, I'd spoken to my consultant who said, frankly, your prognosis is bleak and we don't know if you're ever going to move or feel anything again. So it was a very dark time. But they did offer me the opportunity to get into the experimental research trial, which I took with both hands and or didn't in that case, (laughs) Uh, metaphorically. And um, it was only on day two when I turned to my wife. Well, I didn't. I, I looked across at my wife and said, what's 200 days from now? And she said, it's December the 22nd. Why is that? I said, give me Christmas day and I'll be back to normal. Mm-hmm. So it was my promise to Helen that became my 200 days promise. And I used that as my daily motivation then. It wasn't just about me getting better. It was about me fulfilling a promise to the most important person in my world. And I never forgot that each and every day. I now had a new fire underneath me and a, a bold, ambitious goal. It was like my gold medal winning level goal. The chances of me being back to normal in six months are like slim to none, right? But I didn't let myself believe that I believe I had to believe it was possible but at the very least I gave myself a north star and from there I could then set myself little mini wins every day little mini goals two or three a day and just start taking very baby steps forward until eventually I was able to carry our Christmas turkey to the table uh, that Christmas yeah yeah so was did this come as a surprise to Helen or is this on par with how Stephen is this is just (laughs) she's like of course of course. Or was this, was this a newfound sense of optimism and a newfound sense of drive and motivation? Or is this just old? No, no, I think not it's, a, a, it's a bit of both. I, I think Helen would say that I'm bloody minded and determined and a bit stubborn, uh, for sure. And uh, I would totally agree with her with that. I think if I get the bit between my teeth and I get focused, then, uh, then yeah, that is something that I, that, that I tend to, to plow on with. Having said that, I wouldn't say I, previously, I wasn't the big goal setter. I wasn't the motivated guy that went, right, I'm going to achieve this and then I'm going to achieve this and I'm going to achieve this. I genuinely wasn't that guy. If anything, I probably had a bit of a fear of failure to the point where I often wouldn't take stuff on if I thought I wasn't going to win it. So it was almost like predefined wins were the things that I took on and could shout about because I already knew that I was going to win them. But mm-hmm. if it was going to be a gray area, then maybe I'd just be a number two in this one and let someone else take the front. So So a bit of both, actually. But then when you're paralyzed and you literally can move nothing, you can feel nothing, you can do nothing. Uh, I still get emotional thinking about it now. It's such a powerful time. Mm -hmm. At that point, you can only motivate yourself. No one around you can say, do this. That's not how it works. You have to be in the driver's seat of your own body. You have to be your own MVP, your most valuable player, right? You have to turn up every day. I just saw a thing today. Actually, this is another person who inspires me. There's another guy called David Smith. Um, and David is a Nike athlete now. He, he's he got a spinal cord injury. He had um, a cyst on his, uh, sorry, a tumor on his um, spinal cord, which left him paralyzed more than once. 
Mm -hmm. He's been through paralysis and recovery more than once. And he's also gone on to win gold medals in rowing Mm -hmm. and then gold medals in cycling for Team GB, which blows my mind. I mean, he's just amazing. Um, But I spoke to David, got him on the phone as well, and we had a good chat about what he does and how he motivates himself. Um, And he made a post literally just today on LinkedIn about showing up and giving your all every day. Are you going to show up or are you going to just turn up? Uh, And if you can show up and really give your all, then you can move it forwards. And uh, so I kind of took that mentality. Well, I think that's so interesting in terms of rowing, because when you're an oarsman and you are on the water, it's, there are so many uncontrollable variables, right? Even if you're rowing a single, as you've probably experienced, you know, and, and that self-motivation is critical, you know, because you are trying to control something that's a little uncontrollable, but you're in the driver's seat. So it's like when you row a single, like everything's your fault, but everything's also you're doing, hmm. right? Right. Have you found any other sort of uh, related uh, to rowing? Because it is a very precise sport. It's repetitive. I mean, hmm. if we break it down, you know, it's precise, it's repetitive. It, it definitely has its do's and don'ts. And then the water part is a whole other kind of a ball game. So is there anything in particular about it that you found particularly challenging? Like, will you continue to row? I absolutely will continue to row for sure. So the guys down at Guildford Rowing Club uh, who have an 800 meter stretch of water that's windy. Yeah, it's not a nice open straight piece of water as most rowers would love to sit to use. But um, that said, I think it probably trains you to be very aware of your your boat yeah it's a very long piece of kit right and you've got to know where you are in the water you've got people around it's it's unsafe if you don't know where you're going and uh, for other people and for yourself uh, so i'm definitely going to be joining guildford rowing club i'm definitely going to be doing my friday morning rows down there which will be amazing um what an incredible group of people as well uh, from a para perspective i think they've got over a dozen members that are para uh, so they've got a good para program and it's only half an hour for me which is really lucky uh, so i will be doing it again uh, I do find it challenging. Um, you know what I find challenging? It's a silly thing, and I'm sure all you guys would, would find this really easy. No, I tell find us. turning the bloody boat hard work. You know when you do that thing where you do opposite hands? It's like rubbing <laughs> yeah. your tummy and patting your head. Yeah, I yeah. can't do that. I just can't <laughs> do it. Um, but yeah, well, whatever. I, I managed to get it around anyway, but it just yeah. takes a bit longer. And it's a sure. little bit sketchy on occasions, particularly sure. in the single. Uh, I won't lie. But I've not been in yet. So yeah, no, which is lucky because I can't really swim anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's it's not overly deep. Um, so I'd be able to stand up and it's fine. But um, oh. but yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely a little bit sketchy. But I've got to say though, of having in my vast experience of twice in a single, once in a double, once and twice in a quad, um, I love the single. I really like the single. I like being in control myself. Um, yeah. and if I screw it up, it's on me. But if I do well, it's on me. And mm-hmm. I like that kind of that that honesty that it gives you. Mm-hmm. And I would think for um, for you, especially coming back into ownership of your body and control, it is you and everything that happens in that boat is because you've made it happen. And I can only imagine going from where you were, where you could not move to now figuring out all the fine tuning elements. Can I? flip my or can I feather and um um do you mind if I I, I'm I'm a little curious about um during your rehab if there was some critical point where you said you know what things are things are really looking up (laughs) you know something's happened here that's pretty darn amazing and I think I'm 
going places. Yeah, I'm. That happened every day, yeah. and what I'm, I'm, I don't mean to be facetious there, really, because what I would do again with these mini goals is I set myself eight o'clock every night. I would look back and go, was I better than yesterday? Mm. In the last twenty four hours, have I made an improvement? Have I made a win? And if I had, then I'd celebrate. If I hadn't, then I'd ask myself, was it down to me if I just didn't turn up that day, if I didn't try hard enough? And that happened sometimes. Yeah, there were many dark times, as you can imagine. Um, if it was on me, then that's on me. You know, I have to be honest and own that. And if it wasn't, if it was out of my control, I, I just had particularly bad spasms. I still get them now. But if I had bad spasms or if I ran out of energy or if, if just something was out of my control, then that's, that's not on me and that's okay. Um, so I used to assess my day day by day I wouldn't look too far back into the past and say what have I lost because I can I, why look backwards you're not going that way although I suppose in rowing you you are going that way all the time mm-hmm. um but yeah so why look backwards you're not going that way is to say to myself all the time so I'd always be looking forwards but I wouldn't look too far in the future either because I had the north star I knew I was going to be walking again in 200 days that was a promise to Helen so I'd have to worry about that anymore now I just have to work out how to be better in the next 24 hours so that was the little mini wins, two or three a day, where I go, yeah, I'm going places, I'm moving it forwards. How would you characterize your support network uh, in that critical time, uh, being a part of your challenge? Because it is just you and your body, but there are all these people sort of juggling and holding these pieces mm. um, for you. And, and no one knows what they're doing, Helen included, um, knows what they're doing. And how would you characterize, you know, your friend network and your work network and everything that got you to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a few points to touch on there, I suppose, because mine's an acquired injury. So absolutely, I ended up with PTSD. Mine was an impact that left me paralyzed. Uh, many people are para though that don't have that. They just grow up with those issues. So maybe PTSD is less of an issue for them, if, if at all. Um, sure. But mine was, an, mine was an acquired injury and I absolutely had PTSD. I, I couldn't be in the car with my eyes open because I would physically see the car coming at us cross the barrier and drive into the front of our car. Mm-hmm. Even though my injury was nothing to do with cars, uh, everything was a threat. Everything was coming at me. And so whenever I had to go and do my five hours a day of physio over the other side of London, I had to be an hour and a half drive each way. Um, my wife would drive and I'd just sit in the car with my eyes closed because I couldn't open them. Um, mm-hmm. It was horrific. Uh, but from a support network point of view, uh, my injury or any any major life-changing event like that doesn't just happen to you, right? It happens to everyone around you. It's a rock in the pond and those ripples go wide. So the support network I had from my nearest and dearest, my, my wife, my stepkids, my granddaughter, all of that was super important. But then it's your friends, your family, your colleagues, and even the support of people that you've never met. I used to... Um, put out comments about what I was doing and my recovery and things into social media, because you just never know who you're inspiring. And that's reason enough to keep doing what you're doing. I think um, I used to get all these comments from people I've never met, particularly in the U S because I think we love a motivational quote in the U S right. Um, True. <laughs> so but hashtag never live your life by motivating quotes was a, was a post that I posted. <laughs> I put out a little while ago, um, but it was, it was important to them to see and important to their lives to see someone else be be inspirational, I suppose, to do things that made them feel good and that they could do it and understand how it was happening for someone else so that they might make small changes to, to improve their own lives. So yeah, the support network was those nearest and dearest to me, but also those people I just never met. 
yeah, it was really important for me to hear from them. Yeah, that shared experience, absolutely. Yeah. So you started to tell us a few minutes ago about how the idea for this Enduro Challenge started. Um, I have a question for you about it. Why four hours of rowing? Yeah, what's up with the four? Like, we're very curious because we, of course, look at it in terms of how it relates to an actual rowing event. So we're like, we understand a 20-minute test. We understand a 2K. We understand a 50K. We understand a marathon, half marathon. Um, I guess if you're really booking it, you could maybe do almost a marathon, you know. Some people have in the four yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah I'm we sure. did last year, yeah. I'm sure. Um, and in fact, this year, there's a guy called Justin Cheetle, who's uh, quite well known uh, over here, at least. He lives in Dubai. He's going to be doing a 50K uh, in four hours. Nice. So yeah, it's all that's what he's aiming for. So, um, What is that but, split? Sorry, I'm just wondering, what is the 500 uh, Look it up split? on Concept2 yeah. Split Calculator. We'll find it on the well, yeah. Calculator. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty fair clip, yeah, yeah. for sure. And, and a sustained one at that, right? So yeah. It's, it's and an efficient way. one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And other people do it where they share the time and distance, right? So if you want to do a 50K, you don't have to be doing it on your own with Enduro Challenge. You can build a crew. It can be a remote crew. You guys could row wherever you are and do a 25 each, right? So it's much more doable at that point. Um, But no, four hours came around almost accidentally. So as I said, I'm not a rower. I don't know about 20 minute tests or 500 minute splits or 2Ks or whatever. That wasn't a thing in my world. I just didn't know that. Uh, so what I did know was that when I did my cycling event, the one when I did the 100 miles, uh, 200 days after, I, I learned to walk again. And in 200 days, I t- took it to the table. And then in 200 days after that is when I got back on the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so exactly almost a year after my injury. And I did that in, I wanted to do it in six hours. And I came in at five hours, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. So it was a real Hollywood ending. Wow. Um, but that was six hours. And I thought, rowing's probably harder. So let's do it in four hours. Hmm. And it kind of went from there. So four hours was literally a finger in the wind. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. If, is four, do people row four hours? I, don't, I, I have no idea. Um, turns out people went, actually, four hours is quite an interesting time. We've never really thought about it in that way before. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, hmm. Where do we compartmentalize that? It's like, I guess it would be 12 head races, essentially. Like if you average a 20 minute head race, 20 (laughs) minutes, like 20 minutes to get down the Charles. I mean, so anyway, we're, we're sort of like having, I'm having to like translate it in my mind. I'm like, okay, I would break that up into 12 head races. Although the one thing that is different that definitely hit the rowing community in a kind of slightly different way, a creative way. And coming again, coming from someone who's a non-rower was everything. I've never met a more competitive group of people than the rowing community. Everything's a race. Everyone's first or last or somewhere in the middle, but no one cares (laughs) about those guys. Um, And that's what I didn't want Enduro Challenge to be, Mm -hmm. right? I wanted it to be fully inclusive. And I'm talking five-year-old kids to 95-year-old grandmas, Olympians and Paralympians in the middle and a few normal people. And they can all be on the same team. We can all do this together. So it wasn't about winning and losing. It was about, there's almost like compartmentalization of, of skill. This was, it's not about your skill. I'm replacing meters with minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm replacing competition with camaraderie. And it means we start together, we row together, we finish together, but we do it together. And that was mm-hmm. the point. Uh, and it all came off the back of coronavirus and lockdown and all that good stuff. When I said, well, how do I build a global community event where we can all just do something challenging in an endurance event where we can all come together and kind of pull together. And I went, oh, pulling together, that, that could work. Um, and then Enduro Challenge was born from there, really. 
Yeah, the I, I the timing actually in a way was uh impeccable. It'd be just because so many people had turned to indoor rowing last year. Everyone was looking for opportunities uh to do exactly what you're talking about is get involved with with community, whether that was uh, you know, local Zoom meetings or meeting people around the world. I mean, Tara and I jumped on the bandwagon last year and we started doing our steady state Sunday erg workouts. Uh so you uh, turn uh, up on Zoom ergos as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. Did. And yeah, we're still, we still doing that today. Uh so you had this notion of bringing together people from around the world and like you said, kind of scrapping the idea of competition. Um what did you see as being the overall goal for this? Were you doing some fundraising? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the Wings for Life are a spinal cord injury research foundation and Wings for Life are the foundation that funded the research that I became one of 50 people to benefit from. So my experimental research trial was a trial that they funded. They didn't fund me. They funded 50 people. They fund the science. And I happen to be one of those 50 people. And even though it's not a golden ticket, and I'm by far and away an outlier to the majority of people that went through that, um, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that trial. I genuinely think, hand on heart, my recovery wouldn't have happened in the way that it did without that. So I'm an ambassador for Wings for Life. I raise money for Wings for Life in other events, my cycling events, the running event, et cetera. They were all fundraisers for Wings for Life too. So I said, well, if we're going to build an event where people need a reason, right? People, you can't just say, do this thing and people do that thing. That's not how it works. Uh, you have to say, care about this story and then do this thing. So I had to use my story again to tell people about paralysis and the recovery from paralysis and why sport and movement was important to me and why this research was important. And let's face it, the majority, well, not the majority, uh, a large proportion of those with para-related uh, conditions can include spinal cord injury and nervous injury and stuff like that as well. So there are a lot of people out there um, that are wheelchair users or or, or other um, in the categories that I would fit into that could benefit from that sort of uh, exposure and awareness. Uh, so that's really where I wanted to to do that, and we did. And so last year we had a thousand people uh, across eleven different countries row for four hours together, and we raised twenty seven thousand uh, pounds collectively for Wings for Life spinal cord injury research. So very proud of that it was way off the figures i wanted it to be but then i'm always crazy ambitious Uh, so the fact that we raised all of that and got that many people in a lockdown when everyone else's events were being cancelled uh i was super happy super happy with it and i met a ton of friends doing it right it was great so here we are again doing the same thing yeah when when uh, in the 2021 enduro challenge was complete did you know right away i'm going to do this again next year i'd already planned it i already had a date in the diary so yeah yeah, no i said if i want to do this i need to know if it's going to be successful the only way you do know if something's going to be successful is to try it right you try it and you fail and you learn your lessons but in this instance we tried it and we were successful and we learned our lessons um not it wasn't entirely successful there were lots of good lessons in there yeah i'd never done a live stream before uh never certainly not a four hour one where i had to fill a, a four hour interesting schedule with people from around the world and have all that stuff planned. And I was very lucky to have a group called Beings, who are a digital agency that, uh, and have done again this year, they're a very close partner to the challenge and they donated the live stream to us. Mm. So it's, I mean, literally thousands of pounds worth of time and, and technology that they're, they're giving to us to, to be able to do this for everybody. Um, so yeah, it was wonderful to, to have that. But on the first instance, I said, well, if this pilot works, 
that I want to make this a movement. I want to make this an annual event where we can do the first Saturday of every February. So I've already planned 23, um, February the 4th, 2023, after you've done this one, put that in your diary. Um, so yeah, I, I want it to happen each and every year uh, because it's just so much fun to do. It's, it's great fun. Don't get me wrong. It's like a full-time job for me sure. trying to organize this. Sure. Um, and I'm surrounded by some wonderful volunteers that give me their time for free uh, for the right reasons. But yeah, it's hard work, but it's, it's definitely something we're going to be doing each year. Fantastic. You talked about for 2022, um, I think you call them micro and macro hubs. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Do you, and so what you're talking about is whether or not you need to do it by yourself in your living room or get getting together with some of your friends and teammates. Now I'm, I'm just very curious because here in the States, COVID is still hitting us pretty darn hard. And I suppose I could get together a, a macro hub and doing it, do it with my club, but I'm kind of curious, do you see people putting together quote unquote macro hubs, you know, small groups of people that are planning to do this together, uh, either where you are or around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So give you a prime example, Ben Pritchard, who's the GB Paralympic rower. He's our premier. He went to Tokyo finalists. Um, he's Welsh and he lives in Wales. So Disability Sport Wales and Welsh Rowing got together with Ben Pritchard. And now you can row with a Paralympian. They've given up some space where he's going to go to and you can go join him in that group. Mm-hmm. um and you you better row with people like ben pritchard uh cool. we've got um cambridge boat club in the u.s uh the cambridge university uh Cam- cbc in the u.s are going to be running uh, a macro hub uh, that we're going to live stream f- with during the event uh, bu just down the road uh, they're also doing a macro hub mm-hmm. so there are people around um we've got even and and Rowing is very, for me, one of the biggest things that came out of last year's event actually was a group in South Africa. There were a bunch of kids uh, called Champions Rowing Club, and it was run by a woman called Nalidi and another woman called Jean, uh, Jean Ellington. And she's, Jean's based over here, but she founded it in South Africa. And this is a group of kids who would otherwise end up in prostitution or gang violence or the wrong side of the tracks being victims, really. And they use rowing as a way to change their lives, you know, to, to turn them around. All the, be- the benefits of rowing can be 86% of your body being used and all the sort of stats around the physical and, and whatever. But there's all that mental be- benefit that comes with it and all the camaraderie and mentorship and, and all those un- kind of intangibles uh, that really benefit the kids. So we ended up seeing, I think there were 16 kids together at Champions Rowing Club last year, and they're going to be doing it again this year rowing on some dilapidated ergs where they just want to take part. They just want to be a part of a global movement. And you know what? They've got a bigger, as big a seat at the table in South Africa as we have from any of the kind of developed nations, as it were. So it's a lovely leveler to see everyone everywhere pulling together. You are definitely, you are on point with your, how you encapsulate this event. And I think that what's interesting about watching this event grow so much is that brand awareness, is that um, the lingo, the terminology, what happens, it's all very succinct. And I I really want to give you props for that because when we see you in social media, we know what to expect and we know that there's going to be enthusiasm. We know that there's going to be uh, great graphics. We know there's going to be, uh, you know, and I'm just, you know, as people who are in the rowing media, uh, I just want to give you props for all of your efforts. It's, it's all done on my iPhone using um, Canva. 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 Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Canva are friends yeah. now. Hashtag Canva. 
this podcast episode is not sponsored by Canva, but it could be. But it should do. It should do. Well, I think rowers especially are very um, critical of rowing imagery of anything that sort of it's it's a it's a cult. I mean, we'll let's be honest. Like rowing the sport, it's it's a little bit culty. And there are like you keep alluding to this idea of like, I'm not a rower, right? And so there's that bubble feeling or that sort of superlative feeling about about having, you know, getting into that bubble. I'm I w- I assure you you are a rower, just just from my perspective. Um, but that <laughs> I, group I, is- I'm not saying that I don't want to be a rower. And and sure. I'm not saying really that there's even some, some sort of false partition. Uh, it's interesting because for me, a rower is just someone who rows, right? I mean, if you're right, getting right. a boat and you, or you get on an erg and you pull on, a, on an oar, then you're a rower, I guess. Uh, but it's more about the, the community spirit that's, that's interesting. Sure. And, you know, the things that Rachel and I talk about on this podcast in terms of rowing is the things that we love about it, which is the interdependence and the things that the, the motion that works together only when everything works together, right? That, that flying feeling really only happens when you've committed to it but also you have a forgiveness and some grace around all of those uncontrollable factors right water wind your ability your the person you're rowing with how tall they are how uh fit they are how flexible they are how into it they are that day they may be completely not into it um and that's what we love so much about it. So, you know, welcome. I want to say welcome to the rowing community. Thank you. <laughs> I I've think got you're... to say, I do feel with the exception of two dinosaurs at World Rowing who were very protectionist, everybody that I've met in rowing, bar none, have gone, wow, welcome. Come and see what we do. And they're mm-hmm. so proud of what they do. It's, it's yes. lovely. And, and that, that's not the perception you get outside looking in. It's interesting. Uh, I think some of that perception is a little bit of a dinosaur mentality of other people, actually, on the outside, because I think it's much more inclusive than people give it credit for. You've, I'm glad you've had that experience. No, yeah. I really have. And I, and I think from a DNI point of view, I'm obviously a massive DNI advocate anyway. I think I was before, but and certainly now I carry a disability uh, or live with a disability. But um, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of, language around we're reaching a tipping point aren't we with dni where it's almost weird if you're not doing it now so you almost get called out for not being dni happy and dni savvy and having these pathways and whatever whatever the lingo is in your your particular world and i don't know if everyone necessarily believes it but i think they need to feel like they're doing it and be seen to be doing it so i call out gesture politics i call out the idea of just doing it because you need to be seen to do it that's not inclusion uh, that's more about just not being caught, really. Um, but then when you see other people that are not so noisy about it, then I'm interested in what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing, because those are the guys to follow. Stephen, are you aware that at the end of every episode we do uh, rapid fire? Uh, I am, only as much as I just got a quick email to say, beware that I'm going to do a rapid fire. <laughs> Be ready. Okay. Concept two, RP3 or water rower? I'm a water rower. Intervals or long distance rowing workouts? Long distance. Podcast or Netflix? Definitely podcast. I have my own head to head. Go check it out. Uh, When you're not listening to podcasts, favorite music to listen to on the erg? Oh my word. Uh, Guns and Roses. Nice. Barefoot or shoes on the erg? I'm shoes, specifically Vivo Barefoot, as they're one of our partners. Calories, watts, or splits, or now, none of those. Now splits because yeah. of Nick Baker at GB 
<laughs> yeah. Now that you know what they are. Now I know what they are. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, we always, you can tell a lot about a person whether they do calories, watts, or splits. You can or where they are in their life that day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always put it on calories when I do a big test or something. I just, I just never believed that they're accurate enough for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't. I mean, I'm not actually looking at calories. I'm just not looking at splits. <laughs> or you've done a electrical. killer session and all you've burnt off is half a miles bar. It's, right, right, <laughs> it's right, not right. quite the same payback. Electrical tape. Uh, okay, so coffee before or after a row? Both. Both. <laughs> That's it. Painless, right? Absolutely fabulous. If you could give us a little pitch for the challenge 2022. Absolutely. So as we said, Enduro Challenge is always going to be the world's biggest live streamed, fully inclusive indoor rowing event for charity. Uh, this year, we're raising money for the Para Rowing Foundation. Uh, who are based in the US, but they have an international everyone, everywhere mentality, as do we. Uh, So they power people with impairments around the world to be the best athlete that they can be through rowing. So incredible projects helping people that are working for rowing for rehab or whether they're going to the Paralympics. These guys help them on their way and we should help them do that too. So sign up at endurochallenge.com for the event, which is going to happen on the 5th of February at 12 p.m. UK time for four hours. And we'll see you there. All right, Stephen. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. It's been great. My absolute pleasure. Yeah, this was a great chat. Good luck with your event this year. And uh, we really do hope to be in touch and stay in touch talking about indoor rowing, rowing on the water, all of that. Have yourself a great evening. Thank you. uh, We will talk with you soon. Indeed. Take care, guys. All right. Bye. Bye. To see photos of Stephen Dowd and to get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Totally. We should definitely tell them. We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and actually around the world. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I really look forward to Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat on Instagram Live because we get to talk about rowing and racing and technique, but we also delve into things like DEI and motivation slumps. And it's always neat when rowers from around the world tune in. And so we hope you'll join us on Fridays, 8 o'clock West, 11 o'clock East on Instagram Live. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to our conversation. And we also know that everyone sometimes needs buddies to help get them through long pieces on the erg. I know I do. So we lead Steady State Sundays the fourth Sunday basically, of each month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. And when you register for the 60-minute Steady State ERG workout, we give cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way so you can work at your own pace and then stick around after to chat. Yeah, I really like that at your own pace. I row at about a 16. (laughs) So um, if you want to find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, go ahead and visit steadystatenetwork.com slash events. Into let it run. That's one, two, let it run.